morning. Our scripture today is coming from the, uh, the letter of Philippians. And as I was reading through it, one word kind of stuck out, and it was humility and humble. And I think about that, that characteristic in our today's society, and it's a characteristic that is cherished, but not often practiced. And I loved reading this scripture and seeing the example of Christ's humility. And so as we read through this today, think about humility as we go through. Our holy word says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature, God did not consider, equal, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word, the one that you have given us. And we pray today that we see you and we see your son who was humble enough to go up on the cross and die for us. And God, that we will bow, every person on heaven and earth and below will bow at the feet of Jesus. As, you, as Pastor Mike comes today, bless him and let his words be your words. Let him speak with the passion of his love for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Tomorrow is, uh, in the terms of Marion High, one day in May. And we're going to have uh, 20-plus students here tomorrow helping us move stuff. Um, So um, when given the choice between this age and 15- and 17-year-olds with active muscles carrying stuff, we picked them, right? So we picked them, and they picked us, and so we're grateful for that. Um, Have all the snacks and stuff lined up, but I did want to say this before this service ended. Um, Don't have all the lunch paid for, so if you want to contribute 20 bucks, I need about 100 to get them paid um, right one day in May on an envelope and hand it in. Um, Secondly, um, today's Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day. I don't know what you know or what you think or where you think Mother's Day came from. This is out of the Book of Worship of the United Methodist Church. Mother's Day was first celebrated in 1908 when Anna Jarvis held a memorial for her mother at St. Andrew's Methodist Church in Grafton, West Virginia. St. Andrew's Methodist Church in Grafton, Virginia now holds the International Mother's Day Shrine. Her campaign to make Mother's Day a national holiday was recognized in the United States began in 1905, the year her mother, Anne Reeves Jarvis, passed away. Ann Jarvis had been a peace activist who cared for wounded soldiers on both sides of the Civil War and created Mother's Day work clubs to address public health issues. Anna Jarvis wanted to honor her mother by continuing the work she started and set aside a day to honor mothers because as she believed a mother is the person who has done more for you than anyone else in the world. While Mother's Day has become many things, 
some wonderful, some difficult, some commercial. Please take time today to give thanks to God for your mothers, those mothers that gave you birth biologically, those mothers that spiritually guided those ones that have emotionally and psychologically helped you along. They are indeed a gift of God. So I say to you all, happy Mother's Day. We're glad uh, to have them. Our scripture sermons, or our sermon series these uh, last few weeks and in the weeks to come is on treasures, timely and timeless. I want to show you an image today. That image, if you don't know it, is found in a couple of different places. Um, it's found here on the 1947 lectern. It, it was here in the church for years. It actually was over there. Uh, but the cross and the crown and that window there that you see uh, is actually in the back up above the hat racks. It's kind of hidden. It, 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 it's too bad. It's never been exposed during in my lifetime uh, to everyone. But um, it's one of the gorgeous windows we have. You see it well from the outside. Um, but if you walk out and you go that way down toward the donut room, look up kind of above the hat rack and you'll see where it's at. But we're showing you these uh, this window because... Um, and that one was put in 1895 with the, with the rest of our windows. So crowns represent royalty. They rent, represent majesty. They, they, they represent sovereignty. And as we know, the, the, the crown and the one who wears it have this magnetic appeal to us. Anytime we see a crown, we think, oh, they, they draw us to us. I'll tell you a little, little United States statistic. We don't have kings or queen in the United States. But a thousand people took a survey online recently, and more Americans know who the rulers, who the monarchs are in England than can name the vice president or the secretary of state of the United States. Crowns have this magnetic power. Most Americans at some time in this same survey, most Americans, which means more than half, have a secret desire to wear a crown. To be crowned a king or a queen at some site. Now, now we know this. I grew up in South Marion, and, and, and back in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, South Marion was being populated by people. We were building new houses. Every block seemingly had a, had a housing project going on. And it was a great thing for boys because when you start a new house in Iowa, you dig a basement first. And the hole was kind of fun, but even more fun was that big mound of dirt. And we used to play a game. All the boys in the neighborhood would get up there and one of them would get on the top and say, I'm the king of the mountain. And anybody else, you know, no matter how much you loved your friends, you were going to shove them right off that thing, right? You wanted to wear the crown. You wanted to be a king. And I, I, this is a true story too. In about three weeks ago, I was in uh, Best Buy. Now, Best Buy is wonderful. Many of us probably go in there and I was in there to buy something, uh, a little thing I needed for my cell phone. But it was evening and these five young men, and I, I think they were having a birthday party, but I would have called it a happy nerd day party, okay? <laughs> and and they, they would have too. But the one whose birthday it was, was wearing a Burger King crown. <laughs> and rather than giving him presents, they'd given him, they'd given him uh, Best Buy gift cards. And when he walked in and I saw him, he says, come my subjects, let's buy something, right? That's <laughs> like, we all want to be a king somehow, right? We, we all, Leonardo DiCaprio stood on the front of the Titanic and said what? Yeah, I'm the king of the world. And it's just not kings. 
You know, every fall doesn't matter where you go to high school in the U.S. In, in the middle of the fall, they have a special homecoming game and they crown a homecoming queen. And today, let's be honest, at some level, there's a lot of men. Some of us will succeed. Some of us are going to fail. But we're trying to make one woman the queen for a day. It's Mother's Day. There is this thing about the crown that has this magnetic appeal. So when a coronation comes by, when a coronation day comes up, it is this huge regal event, whether we are crowning a king or a queen. And and the anticipation builds. It's it's like there's this drumbeat that anticipation is building up, that coronation day is coming. It's almost here. Months go by. Years of preparation go by. Streets are washed. The last time that, that, that England had a queen coronated, they washed the streets. They washed them. And then they painted them. And then for three days, they closed them. So nobody could mess them up because the next people that were going to go by on those streets was the procession of the queen. Flowers are cultivated with passion. We want our whole country to look nice when a new king or queen is going to be coronated. Animals are groomed. No expense is, is spared. You know, fe- precious, precious linens and, and fine threads and materials are put together in this beautiful wardrobe. And you, you hear more about the dress that the queen's going to wear or, or the king is going to wear than you almost hear about the power they're going to take. And, and I wasn't alive then, but when Queen Victoria was crowned, Do you know that her crown had 309 carats just of diamonds alone in it? Not counting all the rubies, emeralds, and other fine jewels that were in there. No expense is spared, and all this preparation is made. And then there's this this guest list that's made. And the guest list has volumes of dignitaries. It has all the learned men and women from as far as their reach is. And, and, And the famous folks are there as well. And then there's this dramatic procession. Vehicles that are completely unsmudged. Even the tires have been buffed up. Animals that prance forward. Soldiers dressed not in their everyday fatigues, but in their full dress uniforms come by and there's much pomp and circumstances. There's musicians that come along and play and they don't miss a single note. There's religious figures and state figures all in a line. And then there's this dramatic moment where the king or queen kneels down And the crown is set upon their head. It's a magnificent moment. But in that moment, the king or queen is declared sovereign over all of their subjects. Now the procession of any king or kingdom in the world is very different than the procession of the king of the Christians. His procession is so very different than, than, than what we see here. And the great paradox of Christianity is Jesus' coronation and humiliation. It, it said in the words that, 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 that Kelsey read a few moments ago, who, speaking of Jesus, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility. This is the way of Christ. 
This is a characteristic that's infrequent in reference to a king or queen or even a head of state of any kind. A king or queens do not defer to others. They, they are not humble. That is not the nature of the office or the opportunity. They're sovereign. They're over others. They're powerful, not humble. But what we understand as we read Scripture is that God often acts quite opposite of what we expect. Do you understand that the entire incarnation was a humiliation for Jesus? Just being a person was humiliating to Jesus. I mean, understand this. This is, Christians, we believe this. In the beginning was God. And we believe in a triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why in the beginning when God goes to make humanity, he said, let us make them. That's an us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God has three personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of those personalities is birthed into a barn to common folks. This is not the typical entry. I don't know, I don't remember how, how, how Prince Harry came into the world, but it wasn't in a barn. There was probably opulence and all the finest surgeons and all that in his land around. But here is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, humbling himself to take on humanity and he comes in in a barn and he's going to live in a nowhere town working with nowhere parents, learning a trade that makes his hands work. That's not the birth narrative of a king. And as you go through later in his life, after he teaches many people, after he performs many miracles, look at the procession to his coronation. It is not on washed streets. It is not, there is no opulence there. He jumps on the back of a little donkey Folks rip branches off the, 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 the trees, throw them in front of him, put their coats out in front of him, sing a few songs. It's about a thousand yards, his little processional, and then he gets threatened. And his coronation is a beating. It's a whipping. It's a punching in the face. And his crown is not made of diamonds and earth's finest materials. It's made of thrones. Now understand, uh, of thorns. Now understand that this is a king who could have, at any moment, called 10,000 angels to stop it all. At any moment, because we know the power of God, we've seen it in other ways, if he can speak the water still, he could have spoke this idea right out of people's heads. He could have stopped the whole thing by just simply saying, no. He could have said just a word. Here's... The king, whose very incarnation is, is, is into humiliation, who shows us, gives us glimpses that he can control everything. He stops the water from foaming up. He feeds 10,000. He brings dead back to life. He brings sight to those that are blind. So he chose. He was not forced to be one of us. But as Philippians says, rather he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, he chose service. He chose humility. God's being flagrantly countercultural here. We must understand this. Royals are to be served. They are not servants. The king or queen has someone taste their coffee to see that it's at the right temperature, not too hot. The king or queen has someone that comes by and 
snaps the back of their shirt. They don't wrestle trying to put it on themselves. The king or queen is served. But this king, this king kneels down to wash the road refuse off his disciples' feet. This king includes the disenfranchised. This king comes to free people, not oppress them. This is why Paul writes, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Obedience is not typically the property of kings and queens. Kings and queens demand obedience. And it says in there, even death on the cross. You know, we don't know this because we don't live at that time, but we need to sometimes reflect on, on why we put a cross in the front of our church. You know, it could have been a pike. It could have been a stake that Jesus was born, uh, killed on. It could have been the symbol of a lion's den or a noose. We put the most horrible thing. It could have been a guillotine. We put the, the symbol of Jesus' death in front of us because of his humility. The crucifixion method was used on Jesus not simply just to kill him. It was to test his obedience, his servitude, his humility. Being killed on a cross is the worst possible punishment that people up till that time could think of. You know, a guillotine was fast. Hanging was fast. Even burning on the stake, you died pretty fast. What they wanted to do to the people that they really hated was string this suffering out over two or three days. You know, because really, and, and you know enough science to know that in crucifixion, you, you, you're in shock because of all that they've done to your body. But ultimately, you die because you suffocate. And even if I've ever had the wind knocked out or had some sort of illness where we couldn't, or you deal with lack of breath all the time, you know what kind of difficulty that is. You know what kind of hell that you're, you're living in there for a few moments. So they put people, lots of people, on crosses. And they didn't do it out behind the shed. When Jesus was crucified, he was, he was crucified right, out the, right outside the Damascus gate to Jerusalem on the road that went from Jerusalem to Damascus, Syria. And the cross, which was a symbol of death for many, there were lots of them right along the road. And they left people hanging on them as signs. The sign was, don't be like them. They, they let them hang their days, weeks. Jesus had somebody to come get them, so they took him down faster. But understand that that is how Jesus is coronated. See the difference? You know, when Nero was, when, when Nero was uh, crowned the king, the emperor of Rome, I'm sure they pretty much shut Rome down. That every horse and pony step into a certain cadence. They had all those hats all cleaned up. I mean, every piece of, of armor was polished. They had lavish feasts and all that kind of stuff. And when they brought him into the palace in Rome, every important person in that, that area bowed down to him. Thousands, millions of, of whatever we would call dollars today then came in to him. And Jesus' procession, his coronation happened out on the street. It happened with a crown of thorns. Nails through his wrists and his feet. Is there a stronger king who takes all that in humility, service, and obedience? Is there a stronger king anywhere that keeps fidelity to their mission through all that suffering? His death was his coronation. His coronation. 
His obedience was comprehensive at the moment uh, of his death. That's why the Roman centurion proclaims the first uh, Christian speech when he says, Surely this man was the Son of God as he sees him die. And God says in his own word, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That is exaltation. When it says, therefore God, that's God changing everything that was into what is. He exalts Jesus to the highest place. He gives him the name above all names. Those of you that come to this service, some of our other services won't remember the hymn. There's something about that name. Do you know that last course? There's something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. Know the bearer of that name. This is the Christian message. Know the bearer of that name, and you will know all you need. Call upon that name. Call upon the name of your help, of your king for help. And I guarantee this help will arrive. Praise that name, and you are praising the highest, because it alone is different. It alone is worthy. See, coronations are always directional. They're always telling you what you need to do next. Here's your king. Here's your queen. Be subject to them. And one thing is always impossible as you look at the coronation of a king. You can't be like them. You you can't be like the queen. They sit in the palace. You can't be like the king. He sits in the palace. But here's this second paradoxical piece that comes up in this scripture. There's this paradoxical paradoxical command in Christianity that says, be like the king. Be like the king. In Philippians it says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Christ followers must have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, which begins with humility. It's a mindset of equality. You know, down in the basement of this church, I learned a lot of songs that built a lot of theology into me. One of the best ones was this. It goes like this. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. You know what I'm talking about? Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. It doesn't say that he feels marginally about any of them. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight, which means to say that our, our Lord Jesus taught everybody is equal. So in our humility, we need to either come up and see ourselves as equal to either everyone else, or we need to come down. And see that we're equal to everyone else, no matter what they look like, no matter what language they speak in, no matter what, what their deal is. God says we're all evil, or equal. We're all equal. And he tells us in the scriptures, it rains on the good and bad alone. There's a 100% mortality rate among human beings. So you have to understand, nobody can buy themselves out. Nobody can earn themselves out. We're all equal. And we honor the king by giving equal value. You know how hard it is to value everybody equal? Because we have expressions in our, in, our, in our language, like those people, they, stuff like that. But all people are equal. Because he says they are. To have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, it means we have to embrace service. We have a young gal I knew a long time ago. I say that she moved from model to mommy. Have you met someone like this? I mean, when, when she, before she had kids... 
everything was in place. And she had it going on. And she took seriously for the first five years or so that she was married. I mean, it was all going on. And then she got pregnant, which they wanted to do. And then she had this baby. And she still dressed up like that. But she always had stuff hanging on her. You know, she had a, she had a, in the waistband of her skirt, she'd have a, what do they call them now? We used to call them binky, a pacifier. And there'd be that splot right here. All us parents know what that is. Don't put the last shirt on until you're walking out the door, right? Because it might, but, but I just always got a kid kick out of her because she, she was so put together. But yet, when you asked her, what, what do you think about this? She said, greatest thing ever. Her entire life was prior to that serving a mirror. I mean, she's a great person, all that. But then it moved to serving that kid. Vicki mentioned in her prayer that earlier this week we celebrated the, the, the life of one of our 20-year-olds, Dawson Brown, who passed away in a motorcycle accident. His friends and his parents, his uncle, all said one thing about him that was consistent. He was a shirt-off-his-back kind of guy. If you needed help, he would give you the shirt off his back. That's a servant. Driving down the road, if he saw you with a flat tire, whether he knew you or not, he was going to stop and help you because he could. See, when we take on the mindset of service, it has, it, it's a mindset of our purpose that big and in small ways, we're going, to t- we're going to help others. We're going to serve others. You know, Simon mentions fly. Well, that's a programmatic way. There's lots of other programmatic ways. But many of you are also serving in personal ways, helping the person across the fence or someone in your family circle that needs help. And that's what we need to do. Subjects of the King, of King Jesus, serve others because he serves. And we have this obedience in our lives. I'm in a group the other day. We were talking about being obedient to Christ. And one of them said, man, being obedient, that's 24-7. Dang. I'm trying, but I'm not 24-7 yet. I'm working. I'm doing pretty well. But wow. Right? Obedience is hard. Because obedience takes fidelity. If you've ever been to Moab, Utah, it's a place where a lot of people go to ride mountain bikes and hike. It's where Arches National Park is. And if you're from the Midwest and you don't know about how dry it is in the high desert, it can be a dangerous place. Because if you're not prepared and don't have enough water, you're going to be in trouble in a hurry. And out behind the Best Western Hotel in Moab, Utah, there's a trail that links to what's called the Slick Rock Trail. Six-mile bike ride, not hard, right? Six-mile bike ride's not hard until you do it in the desert and the ups and downs. And you do it in sand and stuff like that. But right before you crest the hill to go onto the Slip Rock Trail, there's a, there's a sign. It has a Best Western logo on it. And it says this. Stay on this path. Then it says again, stay on this path or you will likely die. And folks from Iowa have died on there because they got out in the desert and you get lost and disoriented. You think the path's the other way, the different, different way is better than the path because you think you can cut back and you cannot. See, we're human beings. We like our own way. God made us so smart that we don't just see one way. He says, hey, follow me, but we're so smart. We see all the other ways, and we want to try to pick one of them and and go our own way. But we're smart enough to know that if we faithfully look at this, we should see his way clearly and obviously as the best way. We need to be obedient to the king's way. Because when we're in Obedient to the king's way, that's where incorporation comes. See, those who have the mindset of Christ Jesus 
have selected, incorporated themselves into the eternal kingdom of Christ. We stand with the saints that came before us. We, 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 are in, we, we honor all those that walked on the way of Christ before us. We stand beside and upon their shoulders. And we seek, and hear this, because we don't like to do this. Sometimes we say we want to be helpers. I want to tell you this. We need to boldly put our flag down and say, we seek to be the forefathers and the foremothers of a new generation of Christians and welcome them into the home. So, so that cross and crown window stays here. Maybe the cross and the crown that's on our pyramids stay. I don't know. But it's message that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God. That message, that's going in front of us. It's already there. It's coming with us. And we are intentionally going to be about the business of inviting others to coronate our king as the king of their lives. And in that coronation, allow ourselves to be subject to the one and only king, King Jesus. I say these words to you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every day is a little Easter in the church. Every day is a little celebration, big celebration of what God is doing. And we have a great celebration today. And I'm going to call upon Steve and Rachel Griffith to come forward. So give Steve and Rachel. They usually come to 945, so you might need to meet them right now. everyone. I'm Steve, and this is Rachel Griffin. We have our daughters. I believe the picture is going to come up of Ella, Lizzie, and Madeline. Like Mike said, we often attend the 945 service and have been attending for about two years. We love marrying Methodist because it's a place that immediately felt like home to us and a place that the, the kids love as well. And it's been a great influence both to our marriage as, as well as to the children. We're happy to give to the Transform campaign so that our family and families for generations to come can continue to have a place that feels like home. Today we're here to celebrate the eighth piece in the puzzle, which represents $1.4 million raised in this transform campaign.